0: Support for this episode proudly comes from Muntons plc. Muntons is a UK manufacturer and global supplier of world class malts and malted ingredients. As the greenest maltster in the world, sustainability lies at the heart of Muntons and is proud to boast the claim of manufacturing 100% sustainable malt. Muntons trustworthy data can support its customers' raw material credentials by helping to map their carbon impact and look at potential mitigation options. Over the past 10 years, Muntons has reduced its greenhouse gas emissions by 24% per tonne of produce and has become the only molster in the world to sign up to have a science-based target to reduce greenhouse emissions by 45% from 2010 to 2025. In 2020, Muntins completed the installation of a biomass plant at its Bridlington Maltings and is currently building one at the Stowmarket Maltings in Suffolk. Sustainable brewing begins with Muntins. For more information, contact the Muntins team by emailing hello at muntins.com or visit www.muntins.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain, from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, Hopheads, and welcome to another episode of the Hop Forward podcast. You may recall last week that we had a lengthy discussion about hops and the impacts of climate change on farmers. You only need to watch anything narrated by Sir David Attenborough to see in real time what our excessive consumption of the Earth's resources is doing to our planet. Just as an aside, I'm thinking of starting a crowdfunding campaign because, quite frankly, David Attenborough is not getting any younger and nature programs just won't be the same without his iconic voice so therefore i've conceptualized the wait for it david attenborough voice emulator or dave for short basically we'll search and index every word spoken and recorded by david attenborough and then you type it into the dave and it will kick it back out in his beautiful voice and future generations will be able to enjoy his work for decades to come. Only if climate change continues on the current trajectory it's on, there may not be a decades to come. I'm just putting that cheerio note out there. Obviously, no one wants to feel guilty about drinking an IPA that uses heavy amounts of imported hops or beer styles using malts that have travelled from the ends of the earth to your fridge via the brew house. Of course, we don't. If anything, all these restrictions on our lives have shown us the value of the liberties and luxuries we enjoy, especially here in the West. That kind of privilege and wealth is a conversation for another time and another podcast, and I'm sure we'll get around to that at some point. But just stay with me for a moment. I recently heard some snippets from Bill Gates' new book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. In it, he makes the point that although reducing missions to zero is the goal, it's quite simply nearly impossible in this modern day and age without businesses and corporations researching and developing new technologies that will make it possible. While you may dismiss the idea as capitalistic and Bill Gates as some kind of pharmaceutical drug overlord that wants to inject nano chips into your arm via an engineered fake virus, <laughs> seriously? We all have a responsibility within our own breweries and businesses, no matter how small, to invest our energy into the future so that we have green, renewable energy to sustain life on earth in the long run and we can enjoy those fresh, hazy IPAs sometime in 2050. One brewery who are serious about working out our CO2 emissions and how to bring them down to zero and make a real-life difference is Cheltenham's Daya Brewing Company. Daya have become synonymous with their flagship beer, Steady Rolling Man, a soft, opaque, New England-style pale ale that is like drinking a cloud made of tropical fruits. Theo Frain, a brewer who studied a Masters of Brewing and Distilling at Harriet Watts and then completed internships at both Adele Brewery in Colorado and Cotswold Brewery closer to home, took a leaf out of the book of breweries such as Sierra Nevada and focused on perfecting one beer, dialing in the recipe until it was perfect. And it is a modern classic on every level. It's little wonder why they have attracted so much attention and affection in the world of beer through that beer alone, not to mention their other fantastic double IPAs, IPAs and the various other styles to come out of their 40 hectolitre brewery. For anyone who has conversed with Theo himself, you'll understand how and why Dea have achieved the success they have in a relatively short space of time. He's incredibly switched on, an intelligent guy who has a deep understanding of both the brewing process and the practical aspects of running a brewery. I was amazed, really, at the steady rolling man himself. And I think you will be too when we crack open this week's discussion about Dea, their drive for sustainability and what makes for a modern classic like steady rolling man well it's time again for beer of the week with linda birch from brewing markets so without further ado i'm going to hand over to linda to tell you all about a beer that you most certainly should try especially if you like gin and chocolates
1: hello I'm Linda from Brewery Market, we're a flavour forward draught apothecary based in Twickenham. We encourage people to drink differently by engaging and inspiring the senses. Um, and by senses we mean everything from taste and smell to emotion and thermoception. Yes, that's really a word. It means your ability to sense temperature. <laughs> Something we're often asked is how we choose beer. If we're flavour forward, you know, everything tastes good because everything at the end of the day is all about your perception of the beer. with you like it. So we have a bit of a moral compass guiding us and obviously working in um, craft beer it's just a wonderful industry full of independent businesses so there's loads of cool stuff going on if you really look. The brewery that we have picked uh, for this drink is a uh, Brewery de Molin. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. They're based in Holland. And I have picked the rather bold Rasputin at 12.2%. It is a gin Barrel aged, stout. They like to refer to their their beers or their stouts as stoutish. <laughs> if you like a beer, you've definitely probably already heard of this brewery. Um, based in Holland, they obviously famous logo is the windmill. They're based in uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's a very historical windmill. The old um, brewery's there. They have a much bigger brewery down and a beer shop tasting room and stuff like that just down the street um, but they often still do craft brews in that in that old small windmill yeah so if you if you like beer you probably know these this brewery they brew some great styles and they just brew stuff that they would like to drink themselves which is brilliant so often some crazy barley wines stouts porters ales, sours lagers, saison you know you name it they brew it they like to call themselves and experimental brewery so occasionally um, they've got a steady range of like 20 beers I think but occasionally they just brew something crazy so what makes this brewery great why did we pick this brewery to stock at brewery market well there's a couple of things that they do one of them is a project called stitching Philadelphia and it's basically an internal workshop at the brewery for mentally disabled people Um, And it's in uh, cooperation with a local foundation in Holland called uh, the Philadelphia Foundation. And I think there's about half a dozen colleagues um, that go in to assist that that are mentally disabled that help the production process of De Molenbeers. So so the beer that if you have a beer from them it's it's likely that one of these guys will have either labeled the bottled folded the boxes done the cleaning and, and bits and bobs like that so I just think that's just fantastic and even more than that um is they contribute to this calls 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 uh not for sale it's basically um a network of social projects um, and I think loads of people can donate to them but you basically give some of your products and they give 100% of the profit to fight human trafficking and it's completely unique in the world um, so just think about what's in your glass hat huh? it's not all about the beer and just if you are interested they they're not for sale ale that they brew it's a craft lager uh, sort of hazy 4.7 citrus and fruity so be interested if we could get one of those at the bottle share, eh? (laughs) Right, on to the beer. Rasputin, um, as I said, it's an imperial, sweet imperial stout. It's brewed with uh, chocolate and caramel barley and um, premium and stars bitter hops, which is like a sort of combination hop, if I remember rightly. It gives sort of flavour and aroma. It's like a Czech created in the Czech Republic. Um, So it gives bitterness and... And aromas which obviously this being a stout you know the choice of hop that you put in there it's got to be just right to get the perfect bitterness right let's get this beer open I've had it out the fridge for about half an hour now just to try and bring the temperature up a little bit because we all know you don't want the stouts too cold because that can detract from the flavor Just looking at the bottle before I open it, it's got a gorgeous red wax top and I note the date of bottling is the 31st of March 2020 and I do know uh, from the brewery that they advise that this is a couple of years old before you drink it because it only gets better with age so I'm really excited to try this. Here we go. Oh, that smell coming from the bottle is amazing pouring wonderfully. Actually, it's a little bit fizzier than I expected on appearance. Don't know if you can hear that. Dissipating now and it's receding into a nice tan, foamy head. Perfect. I want to say it looks jet black, but if I hold that up to a light, it's just a tiny little bit of rubiness flashing through. As I said the smell is actually intense gin chocolate sherry oh, it's difficult so much chocolate there gin it's all so strong winey cocoa ginny beer oh, it's delicious okay let's go in for a sip mmm that's so perfectly balanced Mm. oh I'll tell you what it reminds me of is there's a thorn? do you know Thornton's chocolate there's a gin, they do this sort of Christmas pack I think when they get all of like you know the real alcoholic chocolates out and there's a gin chocolate in there that's really delicious actually and you can really taste the dryness of the gin afterwards as well which is lovely and just sweet chocolate around the outside the tip of the tongue If you are a gin or a chocolate fan, you are gonna love this. I'm thinking about what I wanna pair it with, and quite honestly, a hot bath would be lovely, or an open fire. (laughs) I'm surprisingly actually getting some of the herbal notes through still from the gin, which makes me think that this might pair well with um, like salmon, may I say? Like smoked salmon, something smoky um or gravelax i don't know if you got if you know what that is um maybe sushi that could be quite good too but if all else fails you could actually pair this with chocolate of course but i was thinking a chili chocolate if you can get something spicy with this this is a really nice sipping slow drinking smooth tasting beer there's the tiniest hint of coffee plums very decadent and very indulgent without it being really too overwhelming it's not cloying on the mouth or anything it's not overly sweet it's not too bitter it's just perfectly balanced beer give it a try rasputin from demolen drink differently
0: thanks linda that's actually does sound amazing as i was editing that i was like oh my goodness i want to try that beer so if like me you want to try that beer head over to brewerymarket.co.uk and you can pick it up there right well all there is left to say is like receiving your malt delivery and taking out technical data sheets and scouring through it for the moisture and nitrogen content and the extract basis for your next brew here's all the necessary blurb if you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website hotforward.beer to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. And finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors this week. Muntons is a UK manufacturer and global supplier of world class malts and malted ingredients. Sustainable brewing begins with Muntons. For more information on their malts and their range of malt extracts, visit muntons.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot 4 Podcast, I'm joined by Theo Frain from Dea. Hello.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: Um, Okay, all things considered. Yourself?
2: Yeah, we're not doing too bad.
0: Good, can- good. So I've got a confession to make up front, right? Um, I've heard a lot about Steady Rolling Man and I've only had it once. <laughs> yeah. I know I was very, very impressed with it when I had it. Like, I'd, I'd, everyone was banging on about this beer. I'm just like, it can't be that good, you know. <laughs> and then i tasted it it was in um it it was in that period when we came out of the first lockdown but before went into like lockdown version 1.5 and um i i did the logo for my friend darren at the industry tap um and when he had his rebrand and he had it on um keg there so i got a crowler of it and um yeah i was i was very impressed so
2: so I'm glad you got to enjoy it
0: I did good beer man so uh, b- before we talk about that and and you know where there is at now I mean can can you give us a little bit of background about who you are talk about your brewing journey yes yeah. um all that sort of stuff
2: yeah yeah so um I yeah I started there uh, and some background on myself i I went to Harriet Watt University and did a master's in brewing and distilling right so my first. Real sort of foray into brewing, so to speak. Um, previously, I've been home brewing. I guess a fairly typical sort of starting story. Um, got very, very excited by, very interested in different craft beer, um, particularly American style, sort of IPAs, pale ales, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Got very, very into that. Um, pursued that from a sort of home brew uh, angle quite intensely, and. Yeah, just, just got really excited about it and sort of uh, pretty quickly uh, set on that being uh, the career path that I wanted to go down. So I did Harriet Watt, um, managed to do some work experience at some other breweries. Not uh, huge amounts of time, but enough to pick up a decent amount of um, uh, good knowledge. And then so sort of coupled with the scientific aspect of the Harriet Watt course, I felt I was in a decent position to, to launch the brewery. So I did that in 2015. Right. And then in 2016, we got um, our own space in Cheltenham. So we're based in Cheltenham. And yeah, it was all, yeah, all guns blazing, just going for it, really. Mm -hmm. Um, First couple of years, obviously quite tough, sort of establishing yourself and getting up and running. And yeah, it's just, there's a lot of unknowns. it's really, really challenging. And since then, yeah, the challenges haven't really diminished. It's just become a different... Ball game, and we haven't been going for that long, but there's a lot that's happened, I think, across the industry, but also sort of internally within our company. So, it's been a it's been a very, yeah, it's been a roller coaster, and luckily we've been able to grow and develop into something that, yeah, we're all really proud of. So, yeah, we've been very fortunate as well.
0: Nice one. Am I right thinking you spent time at Adele? yeah As an intern. what yeah, was yeah. that what was that like how did how did that come about reading the
2: brewers journal again
0: uh, <laughs> yeah I'm doing my research like a proper journalist <laughs> yeah.
2: um yeah so that was that i managed to get contact there and uh sent them an email and they were open to it so i managed to sort that out and then i spent three months there and it was very formative for me i had um I was, yeah, I was, I was so keen and open-minded and just trying to learn as much as I possibly could. So I think that the, the timing was really, really um, beneficial for me personally. So I just went in there and just tried to just absorb as much as possible and mm. it's a really, really well class brewery, but extremely well run that like the, the, the beer is very, very good. The I dunno, the attentive to all sort of detail is very, very high. So they treat their staff incredibly well their community they have a big focus on loads of different stuff outside of the beer but fundamentally everything they do beer wise is amazing as well so i don't know it's just eye opening and very very um exciting experience for me i loved it
0: yeah i mean that seems like a really good place to cook your tea for a little bit yeah you know um, yeah
2: it's a short amount of times as well i mean i was only there for three months and i was at cotswold brewery for uh, about three months as well and that was more I did my uh, project from my Harriet Watt degree at Cotswold Brewery. Yep. So a technical aspect to it, but the majority of the time there I spent, I was kegging and sort of just generally helping out. So it's a more practical element because brewing is, as you know, it, there's a lot of practicalities to brewing. Mm. Um, now in my position at day, I don't brew every day, but when at the start if I was brewing regularly, you know, it's a very practical thing. If you're kegging, it's a very practical thing. You've got to be sort of on the floor doing stuff, not, I guess just thinking about stuff or right. Yeah. You're not on your computer that much. So I'm at my computer a lot more now, but yeah. Yep. And it's I tried to pick up different facets from different companies. Um, for example, I knew we were gonna go into keg. Cotswold Brewery is probably at that time, probably the only brewery near to where we are that was actually kegging beer because mm-hmm. they were focusing solely on lagers. Everyone else is doing cask and stuff like that. So it's just small things like that that I was trying to pick up because I knew what we wanted to do, we wanted to do American style hoppy beers, so it was gearing everything, all of my experience towards that, yep. so I guess I was reasonably um, fortunate that I knew what our focus was, I knew what we were going to focus on and what we were going to do, we were clear on that and then it was trying to work out how can I get the uh, work experience or experience to sort of execute that really.
0: Mm. So take us back to when you started there, um, and you you upscaled from homebrew size to slightly bigger, yeah. and now um, owning a is it a forty hectolitre brew house? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's I mean obviously for in five years to go from like what a twenty five liter bucket <laughs> to that size, you know that's every homebrew's dream, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, take take us on that journey. Like how yeah. what's, and some of the challenges you faced at each stage, you having to sort of scale up y- your business. Yeah to the point to where you're at now
2: the home brewing is interesting because yeah without sounding too flippant like the first thing in home brewing is trying to like just make something that's drinkable and not like chuck away aboard you know what I mean yeah. it's a very like, trying to get to a certain point but then I guess I was taking the home brewing pretty seriously with the view to start a commercial brewery yeah so once I was doing home brewing properly I knew I was going to start a commercial brewery so probably it was a bit more um focused than just making beer for sort of fun but um I actually I had a period of contract brewing at, or gypsy brewing, at two different breweries near to where I live. So I grew up in Cirencester, which is about half an hour away from Cheltenham. And they were two like three barrel, four barrel tiny cast breweries put together by literally by the the people who owned them. They, they unfortunately they both don't exist anymore. They're both shut down, but they were they were good fun, those places. But that was almost like enlarged home brews. So then I was doing it in sort of like a three barrel, four barrel scale. So yeah. that was like a stepping stone. And that was really challenging. I, trying to get the recipes right. And like I didn't have access to simple things like pelletized hops. And I didn't have hop contracts. And I was like scrounging off some breweries that I'd met and things like that. So it, that that wasn't great. And then everything about a cast brewery is set up to brew cast beer. Yeah. But if you're brewing cake beer, you're not set up for cake beer. So it's just, then you're... Um, you know cake conditioning stuff and it's not very uh um ideal conditions for like not allowing oxygen ingress and all this sort of stuff so that was really challenging and then once we got our own kit it felt like uh we could really implement what we were trying to do. We weren't hamstrung anymore. Yep. Um professional brewing equipment allows you to simple things like keeping oxygen out of the product and things like that. It's so much easier on a professional setup. So once we, we purchased our, our kit secondhand from Harbour Brewery and they were making some really cracking beer and they, they still are, and to, yeah, just a really high standard in terms of the work and um, what they do. So once we had that kit, it very much felt like we could then progress mm. at a reasonable rate, but then the first couple of years that we had that kit, we tried so much different stuff, we experimented, We we really you know, try to expand our knowledge at every stage. There was a coincidence of us being interested in making these sort of hazy, juicy styles and then, then becoming really popular, but then us being seen as like one of the first breweries to do it and almost at the forefront of it. But we were constantly learning and evolving as we were doing that. So this weird, not weird, but this interesting mix of us becoming known for something, but still learning how to do it as we were doing it. Yep. So we felt very like, um it was a quite dynamic sort of workplace because we were constantly just trying new stuff and working stuff out and everything is very heightened so if things go wrong it's the worst thing in the world and if things go great it's the best thing in the world you know.
0: Yeah that's interesting because um, I know when I joined the brewery that I worked in um, like they were cast producing brewery And the kind of beers I want to produce, the the beers you just described, those really hoppy American style beers. Um, And it took me a very long time to figure out that cast producing equipment doesn't really lend itself to that. So like trying to dry hop stuff, I'm just like, why am I not getting those really massive flavors? Whereas um, now, you know, as I said to you before we hit record, like, you know, with my one barrel kit, I've got a, um a unitank, you know, and, and the IPA I did in there before Christmas, you know, I was just like, this, this this is what I'm trying to get get, you know, I'm trying to get this kind of juicy hoppy beer, you know. And it's um I, I think there's probably a lot of brewers out there, particularly that started around the time maybe you did when was it twenty fifteen? Um, <laughs> and the time I did, you know, to um you know that are probably realizing the same thing, you know, um that actually to get those kind of beers and those kind of flavors you you need the right equipment which sounds obviously it sounds daft you'd never say to a trace person you (laughs) You need you need need a hammer for that not a block of wood but
2: (laughs) i think think it even goes further than that i mean i i totally agree with what you've just said and i think also in a brewery a lot of the processes and the way things are set up are not massively efficient Mm. so any decisions you can make to make things more efficient is going to positively affect the brewery really and you might be cutting off some markets things like that so if you commit to keg and you say we're doing this that just just 30 liter kegs and for us we rent kegs for example we really try to take any complications out of the process and the business structure to really make sure there's just very simple decisions to make and yeah if you you can't be set up for everything as a small brewery Mm you've got to sort of work out or I thought you've got to work out what can you do well and make sure you do that well instead of trying to do loads of little things quite well um because it's not going to happen with a small workforce limited resources small breweries are pretty inefficient the yep. way they work with businesses do you know what I mean mm. you're heating stuff up you're cooling stuff down you know it doesn't really make sense the whole process so anything you can do to maximize what tiny efficiency you have is going to be beneficial
0: yep i mean that's a good said way into the next question and thing i want to bring up was about your full carbon audit um with, yeah. the, with the goal of making the brewery carbon neutral i mean like um it, brewing is really can be really inefficient and obviously yeah. it takes a whole lot of power yeah. so that's obviously a lot of offset of yeah. carbon you've got to generate can you can you just talk us through that and tell us about that yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's almost
2: like uh, <laughs> the dirty secret in the industry, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about it, but brewing's incredibly resource and yeah, just very, very intensive on on the environment. Mm. Uh, so last year, yeah, so we did a full carbon audit. We 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 wanted to start taking things like this seriously and start. You know, we want to be a good company as a whole, you know, looking after our employees doing the best we can in our community and doing the best we can from a, um, environmental standpoint. So did a full carbon audit. So we know how much, um, kgs of CO2E we're producing per year, which is about 700 tons, which is a pretty scary number. Um, yeah. And so then we we're working with a peat restoration, um, company to, uh, become carbon neutral, uh, for the next four years. But I think principally also, or very importantly also, we're looking inwards and trying to work out how can we improve our recycling streams? We've changed, we're changing our labels so that they're more sustainable. We're changing all our merchandise to sustainable materials. We're doing loads of stuff. We're about to release loads of information on it actually, but we actually do a lot of stuff first before just saying we're going to do stuff and we've got, uh, yeah, a guy called Ben, who's works in the taproom, who's um, working in the brewery now, as quite a lot of the taproom stuff are, because obviously the tap is not open, so they're sort of doing loads of different bits and bobs, which is the nature of what, how things are at the moment. Anyway, he's, he's, our, he's our sort of sustainability guy and very passionate about it. And um, yeah, I think we're, we're doing a lot of stuff, which is, which, is, which is a really good thing. And I think people in the brewery are buying into it and we're just trying to become a better company. Yeah. Um but also be really transparent about it and not and realize like we sort of said at the start, like breweries should be more transparent about these things. And planting some trees and doing Instagram posts about it is not massively helpful. You know, trees take eight years to sequester any carbon. So you're not offsetting carbon by planting a few trees. So it's important to have an open, transparent, sort of grown up conversation about it, I think, instead yeah. of just checking. A bit of money here and there and yeah we're gonna try and do some cool stuff like put solar panels on the roof to pay for um some of our electricity costs but then also run our cold stores as well but th- these are all things in the pipeline yeah um my mum's very involved she's um but so my mum's very involved in the brewery anyway but she she's sort of her and ben are sort of um yeah uh heading up this area the, the business now and one uh, one really interesting thing we're going to do is for steady Ronnie man into the haze and tappy pills we're actually going to have how many grams of co2 it takes to produce those beers on oh, the wow. can cool and hopefully with like a little a little bit of information then a qr code and then it will go to the website and what we're doing to offset that so try and like bring people into that conversation if people are interested the information will be there for them
0: yeah that's cool, man. It'd be, so I was going to joke and say, it'd be almost like when you've got how many grams per liter of hops and then how many grams per liter of yeah. CO2? Well, um,
2: ironically, ironically, it's the hops, which is one of the main issues because of the transport from America and likewise the malt as well. Mm. It got, it got Our audit was done by Tindall Sustainability. It's broken down into like three areas. And you'd think like the CO2, our production of CO2 and waste of CO2 through fermentation would be massive. So we looked at CO2 recovery, but CO2 recovery is incredibly expensive. But there is a company in America doing it, but it doesn't have the right um, CE marks to be legitimately used in the EU, and they haven't really uh, they haven't really decided they're going to go for export. But still, so that that is a CO2 recovery um, bit of equipment that is designed specifically for fermentation vessels to capture CO2 during active fermentation, which you can then use in the brewery instead of buying as CO2. Yep. So that'd be a like lot better benefit environment but only something like like one percent of our sort of carbon emissions the transport of our malt from Norfolk like and and the growing of that malt because we did a full cradle to grave sustained um audit so it's from literally the growing of the barley to when that can's finished so when it's delivered at someone's door and the 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 transport or the agricultural goods is such a big Part of our carbon footprint. Mm. It's interesting. It's interesting to actually get the information, and understand what what we're doing. We're not going to change the recipes of the beers, but what can we do to to help going forward, sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. um I mean, I've been thinking you about.
2: Get, you can get lost in it a bit, and it's pretty mad. Like, well, I
0: mean, you totally
2: script, can. It's insane.
0: um My wife used to work. I mean, we're going back years and years and years ago for um, a charity called People and Planet. And so we're often talking about these sort of issues and how as a household we can be more environmentally friendly. (laughs) And um, I was doing the washing up the other day and um, I'd bought a can from a supermarket of um, quite a well-known and well-respected independent craft brewery. And I'm aware that if you don't take the labels off the cans, they're harder to recycle. So I was like, well, I'll peel the label off. And as I went to peel the label off, what I thought was a, a matte label, yeah. this pl- thin plastic layer peeled off, and I was yeah. like, "There's, there, there's." I mean, obviously, I'm aware there's like a plastic lining inside cans anyway, but I was like, yeah, e- yeah. even the label that looks like it's like a paper-based label has a thin layer of plastic, and it's just it's even something like it's so invasive. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, you know that it it really do- I think the the beer and hospitality industry are quite bad unfortunately for for these things yeah, and
2: I... it is but i think like you say if you're looking at ways of doing it within your household it's it's everyone's becoming more aware of i don't know so many different things that hopefully will make companies and everything better places you know mm. so it just takes individuals to have that they switched on to it
0: yeah totally so, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned Steady Rolling Man there, and I, I can't do a, a, a podcast with Dea and not bring up Steady Rolling Man. Um, I mean, I'd, I'm i not just saying this to talk to you, but I mean, and I do try a lot of different beers from different breweries, but I've, I, I I do think it really stands out as a, a, a future modern classic. Like, how, how did that beer come into being? And because and, um, sort of it's almost like there's a bit of a kind of cult-like status around it. I mean, what, why do you think yeah. that's come about with that beer in particular?
2: Yes, that, I mean, that's a really, really positive um, thing for us as a brewery. I mean, it's almost known as much as us as a brand, mm. um, which is interesting. But yeah, so it's the first beer we have made. And it was the first recipe we brewed on all the going from uh, cuckoo brewing to onto our new kit. We we probably spent four months just brewing that beer right. on, on our new kit and just really, really focusing on one beer. We knew we wanted American pale ale. We knew pretty much what we want, wanted it to taste like. Originally the hots were a bit different, but we knew what sort of hot profile we wanted. And it was a very, very considered and um, yeah, concerted effort just to really, really nail a, a an amazing 5% pale that it's still approachable in terms of if you give it to someone who's not necessarily massively into beer, they can still just appreciate it for being a, a, a nice hoppy pale. Mm. People who are really into beer, um hopefully consider it just a really a really, really solid and um consistent pale ale as well. So I don't know, it hits a lot of marks and it's just a just a really nice, easy drinking pale ale that was hazy, soft and very juicy for its time. Yep. But interestingly now it it's more uh, it's more uh, in the middle, which is fine. Um things move on in different ways. It's still what we want to it's still so popular with us, and that's, that's the most important thing, um, that it's still very popular in the brewery and with um, with our customers who like it, you know? Yeah. There's always going to be newer beers that come along, which are fuller and uh, juicier or sweeter or whatever, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But as long as we're true to what that beer is, then then that's good.
0: But, these, like, say these things progress, don't they? And, yeah. um, you know, it's like a, a certain brewery that you mentioned earlier – that are planting trees and their flagship beer, you know, at the time, um, you know, it was like, wow, what's this? This is incredible. You know, whereas now it's, it it just seems quite a middle of the road, decent ish kind of beer, you know, pleasant, pleasant, probably the word, a pleasant beer, you know, Um, but
2: things move very quickly.
0: They really do. Um,
2: it's, It's, it's interesting sometimes seeing the reviews of steady Rolling man, where people just got into beer or um, I don't know, maybe haven't had, yeah, haven't been drinking beer for a long time. We're drinking different beers for a long time. They'll be like, uh, not as juicy as I was expecting, or not full cool and stuff like that. And, and that's complete. Everyone's opinion on it is completely one hundred percent valid. You know, it's completely up to them what they think of it and stuff like that. But it's just interesting because when it first when we first started making, everyone was like, oh, it's just you know so intense and so juicy, and now it's like it's just a you know really nice pail. And at the end of the day, that's what it should be. Just a really, really well, really nice drinking. Um, yeah, hits the mark in terms of price point and sessionability. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I think having the tap room here in Cheltenham and the sort of following that it gained through that, uh, the on-site consumption and people have been able to see us as a company and see the, you know, what the brand's about and drinking within the brewery. I think that helped to sort of build that momentum for it because people are talking about it in such, like, glowing ways. Um, That was a, that, you know, Taproom's a massive part of the business. So that, I think that has something to do with why the beers have generated a lot of interest.
0: Yeah. You know, talking to you, you, you sound like you've massively got your head screwed on. Um, I mean what, what you were saying about um, just brewing Steady Rolling Man for months on end when you need know, to get used to the kit and all the rest of it when you said that it reminded me of Beyond the Pale which is Ken Grossman's book from Sierra Nevada mm-hmm. and how um, for ages they just brewed Sierra Nevada Pale Ale just to get used mm-hmm. to nailing that beer again and again and again and I, th- I actually think at the moment in at least in british beer i mean it might be the same in the usa there's such a a thirst and drive for all these different beers that actually a lot of brewers just kind of will jump on their kit and brew loads of different things and it's it's like a phrase isn't it like jack of all trades and master of none
2: Um, yeah 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 that's a really really interesting thing because my personal opinion is that you need to be like many things in life you you need to be doing stuff regularly to become any good at it. And I know in the brewery for us, when we make a beer, even if the recipe is good and stuff like that, we'll still need a few different go to be happy with it. And one-off beers are difficult to nail, but then there is this big drive. And actually, interestingly, lockdown has really perpetuated this, this big drive for new stuff the whole time, because mm. for us as a website, we have to have new beers because that's what our customers want. But then we also want to be regularly brewing our core beers to make sure that we're in that groove. And there's also, we're trying to change tiny things to improve them and things like that as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting balance. Uh, I see in our brewery, we have, um, we have like a core range, but we're probably, we're, we're very well known, which we're known for. Obviously we're steady on a man and into the haze. And we are very well known for that. But we're very well known for the one-off beers and the double IPAs, which are online, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? There's like almost two sides of the business in a way. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that we can't uh, yeah. We need it, it, it's it's a it's a good it's a good challenge getting the balance right between beers that we know are gonna be seriously popular with one part of our consumer base, which is slightly different to another side of our consumer base and the core beers or the regular beers lend themselves probably more to draft beer and keg and in in the pub and beers that people come back to regularly and beers that we brew regularly and they're very very good beers and then the sort of more one-off things which are a bit um yeah sort of flashier online than that
0: yeah well it's the difference between beers you drink and beers experience isn't it like you know you you go into a, a bar and a pub and you'll you, you you'll drink a beer and it'll be a good accompaniment to your evening and all the rest of it and you probably won't remember what it was the next day but like yeah those beers experience are the, are the ones that you really sit down and analyze and take time over um as,
2: yeah i think as i've spent more time sort of in the industry and drinking beers i'm much i reach for much more sort of like classic sessionable beers now than i used to yep um, I respect some of the newer breweries who are coming in and just making very, very good drinking beers, you know? yeah, It's a wow factor. I and mean, there's a lot of wow beers out there. Just, and I'm, everyone can do what they want to do, you know? There's no, uh, <laughs> but, you know, if some people are making a really good name for themselves doing one style or wacky stuff, and completely fair enough. But I, yeah, I have a lot of respect for breweries just coming in and just making really, really well made stuff that's just, Super drinkable, and then you know you can have a couple of pints of it in the pub,
0: yeah, definitely. So, you touched a little bit upon the pandemic and lockdown a bit there, but um, yeah, if you go a bit further, like what sort of um positive and negative effects have you also seen as a result of the coronavirus pandemic?
2: Yeah, so it's been uh, it's obviously been very, very challenging. Um, uh, sort of, it, I'll talk internally in the brewery first of all, I mean. Um, business wise, we've been okay. Um, we've been able to maintain our sort of rate of growth and production level. Sales have been fine. Um, it's been difficult on a personal level. I think for a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, it's, it's, yeah, it's been a very difficult time. it. I mean, I don't think anyone's found it easy. Um we're lucky that we go to work every day because obviously you can't make beer at home so that is a positive i guess but then we're work colleagues we're not like a a, a group of mates or a family even though we tried to be do you know what i mean mm. like you, it's uh it's it's we've done the best we could in a, in a difficult situation and i think i've definitely felt responsibility to make sure everyone's um in the best frame of mind mindful work etc cetera, etc cetera, and to trying to support people as best possible but um I, it, it's a weird one because actually, from a business point of view, we've been fine, but then you've seen the sort of carnage that's happening in our industry, mm. and it's really sad. Um, it's really shit to see uh, how much people are struggling. And I think we'll probably see the effects of that as we come out of the lockdowns, really, um, if we haven't seen it already. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and the way the the industry sort of been slightly tossed aside to by government and yeah, it's not, it's not an easy time, but I'm, it's a bit stressful in the brewery, but I'm lucky that the business wise, we're healthy and the people within our brewery, we haven't lost, no one's lost their jobs and we've been able to look after everyone. So yeah, that's pleasing.
0: That's good. I mean, What do you think's next for the hospitality trade in the brewing industry? I mean, how how do you see things panning out and businesses in our industry recovering from the pandemic? I mean,
2: I I think it sort of depends on the, the nature of how we can open up. So if the vaccine's successful and, you know, we can go back to something like normality, then I'd hope that businesses that have got through this period can then pick it back up and kick on mm. um, if it's loads of restrictions for a longer period of time and we don't go back to normality it's you know then there's going to need to be some serious financial support from the government if we're going to get um, if we're going to uh, retain all these great places um, if you think about us as a company we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are uh, without all these different places showcasing what we do and that's, that, yeah, it's not a good situation, but we'll see. I mean, we, we, we built a whole new tap room. We haven't opened yet, which is obviously disappointing from our <laughs> perspective. Yeah, yeah. uh, hopefully we'll be able to open that soon. And, um, second and uh, yeah, that, keeping the business alive and keeping people happy and in good spirits of that is obviously the most important thing, but then, you know, we, we're essentially just selling beer online at the moment and that's great for keeping us alive as a business but you don't really have that connection with your customer and you don't really have the sort of um that when you're serving beers in the tap room and you see it buzzing on a friday night and everyone loving it and you're creating like a really amazing space for people just to come and relax and stuff like that that that's massive part of what we do yeah and now see orders on a, on a thing which is we're extremely grateful for and we absolutely love it mm. but you don't have a connection with your customer at the moment yep so we're a bit it's a bit, all a bit removed and it was all a bit weird but you've got to do the best you can do and you've got to stay positive and um yeah yeah will see what happens year
0: I can't remember which brewer I was talking to. It wasn't too long ago, but they were they were saying that, and they were saying that um, you know there's there's nothing inspiring about packing boxes because you yeah. pack it, the courier ships it off, and you only ever really hear about it again if the couriers like squash the box and all the cans are crushed, which invariably yeah. they do. And they were saying, whereas with the you know with the tap room, yeah, you you have that connection. You get to look in the white of someone's eyes and and yeah. see whether they're enjoying it, and they'll tell you and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's, um... and and have
2: to to them and get real feedback. And
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, how how is a brewery are you managing to pick up new customers? Then now everything's digital and online. Have you got any strategies in place to kind of grow your business that way? Because like I said before, you know, if you go to a bar and, and you know tap takeovers and. You know, you're showcasing yeah. your beers there. Obviously, you've got um, bartenders and bar owners and bottle shop owners that are getting yeah. excited about your beers, and they'll 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 passionately reiterate the story of the beers and the brewery. Whereas yeah. when it's online, it's all just it, because the nature of scrolling, you know, it's also yeah. very fast, and you've got to make such a quick impact on people. Yeah. Like how how are you sort of navigating that to try and win and gain new customers? Yes,
2: yeah, so I think uh, when we when we moved to the new site which is basically last year this time last year we had a lot of unfulfilled demand really online so increasing our capacity we we would then be able to sort of supply the demand that was there so we as we grew we we were growing into demand so i would say that was that was a that was a massive thing so we could sort of pick up those orders quite quickly I think from there, I mean, we just try and do things. Uh, we we use social media a lot, obviously. Uh, we use Instagram. But we try and just be really clear in the way we uh, put things across. So I do the Instagram, for example, and I'm just trying to be very transparent about the beers, what it's about, and try and make it a bit lighthearted and a bit fun as well, so it's not just too much droning on about beer. Mm. And I think that helps. That works for our brand, everything work, you know, different brands work differently on different, in different ways or potentially different mediums as well. Um, I will try and do some stuff like this podcasts or ways of putting the beers out, um, interviews, um, that sort of thing. And yeah, just try and put out beers that I think people are going to be interested in and try and put them forward in a way that I think will, uh, be appealing to people and from there there's hopefully going to be a groundswell of people enjoying the beers and then recommending it to friends and online um untapped and
0: mm. uh,
2: the Craft beer forum and all that sort of stuff obviously helps a lot so
0: yeah so on on top of covid as if that wasn't bad enough um you know the industry faces reforms to uh, small breweries relief mm-hmm. i mean how, how do you think if those reforms passed into law how, how do you think that'll change the industry and, and what's your position on that
2: yeah so that's um it's a bit of a kick in the teeth that really I mean if you're a business a brewery that's uh, decided to stay at four thousand or five thousand hectoliters a year which was the cutoff point for a higher duty rate and made that as a conscious decision for your business you're you've basically been shafted by the government in that regard. And it basically makes people either grow or stay very small. So it's disappointing. Yeah. Uh, it's not helpful. I don't think.
0: How will it affect Daya?
2: It won't really affect us to be honest. Right. Okay. we are already past that volume.
0: Right. So what, what's just out of interest of what, what sort of volumes do you do? We, we
2: did about 7,000 hectolitres package this year. Right. Okay. So, the, the cutoff volume would be so, so basically, it would just now scale with your volume. Mm. So, it won't really affect us. Um, we knew we were going to go past that. Yeah. But I, I know breweries who have set themselves up to be on that level yeah. of the thousand, which makes a lot of sense business wise. Mm. I think it's, it's a, um, another interesting thing, like we we're sort of saying, the elephant in the room in terms of the, the, the how bad brewing is with the environment is this obsession with growth from so many different um, aspects into it. And I think the best, some of the best things about this, um, all these new breweries starting is that there's so much variety, there's so much interesting stuff going on and there's so many small breweries, which is key. If everyone has to grow, 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 grow and ambition is sort of erroneously linked with growth, then it doesn't actually, you're basically gonna get loads of big ubiquitous breweries and you're back to square one again. And, and, and this duty um, reform is encouraging that to some extent, I guess, because you need to gain the economies of scale once you grow to offset the duty charges. But uh, I, hope, I hope, you know, we want to be a reasonable sized brewery, but stay at a level where we're very much in control of what we're doing. We're creating a, great, a really good business, but then also being true to what, why we started the company as well.
0: Yeah. That whole, you're right about the whole session with growth I was talking to um, Jimmy from um, Unity in Southampton yeah. who pretty much yeah, yeah. said the same thing and you know we, yeah. we were in agreement how it's such a capitalistic mindset mm. and um, why why we all have to aspire to be the next X, Y and Z and be huge mm. and um, you know, brewing it's hard to make a living out of um, mm. you know, and but for some people, like, like well, like myself, you know, with my one barrel brewery, like, I, you know, yeah. I, I kind of, I went, I had to work through all that kind of like, I want to grow. I want to be like magic rock, but bigger, you know, whatever. And um, actually now I've kind of faced all those demons of, um, I mean, my wife would say to me a lot, and I don't know if you've ever seen the film Cool Runnings. Um, there's a there's a quote in that film where, you uh, what's that, you love that film. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, that, there's that bit where John Candy says to um, Doris, I don't know the actor's name, um, you know, about why he cheated. He says, yeah. you know, if you're not enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. And I had to really face up to that. And whereas, so as now I feel comfortable being like, well, I've got a license. So I, I get to sell it. It pays yeah. for itself. I'm still brewing, which kind of, mm-hmm. I can still legitimately call myself a brewer. Um, yeah. And... You know, I can sell it locally, and people can enjoy it. And I can focus on making really good beers on my setup without having yeah. to prove my stripes or anything, or yeah. or, or grow, 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 and be yeah. huge and and set myself up with a load of agro and stress.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think a um, couple of things there. I think you know, Jimmy is a, what Unity is an amazing brewery, mm. and what he's done is incredible, and what he's achieved is is is, is you know is fantastic, and he. I don't know the ins and outs, but I imagine Jimmy would have set himself up for that 5,000. So the duty thing will affect him massively. Yep. Um, but I find also in um, brewers, like you listen to podcasts or journals and like everyone's like, oh, they're so ambitious because they're growing the whole time. It's like actually growing the whole time sometimes is a lot less ambitious in some ways because you're just, you know, these brewers that grow, they just focus on a couple of beers banging them out the whole time they're not actually really challenging themselves they're not actually really pushing what they're doing mm. um sometimes they're just taking the easier route which is to grow and grow and grow and then a financial decision is made for them to an extent when someone offers them a lot of money it's not um it's not ambitious i don't think to do that yep. necessarily um i mean brew dogs obviously a
0: completely different story. <laughs> yeah. they're,
2: they're Definitely ambitious um, but yeah, I don't know if I've said that particularly well, but I guess what I'm saying is there's a, uh, there's, yeah, there's, it's probably more of an American thing because you know what Americans like. Yeah. Bigger, but, uh, better, faster. Bigger, yeah, exactly. Best, best everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there, there is a bit of a, an obsession with, yeah, that sort of growth, but yeah, we, I mean, we're not shy of um, wanting to be a decent sized brewery at the same time. Yeah. But we want to snowball to where it turns ugly I mean it just starts getting a bit ugly when you get too big
0: mm. I think mean, you I think you've got to do what's right for you in your business and as a, as a business owner what's right for you and your lifestyle you know um, you know some people as business owners I have a higher capacity in if they have a relationship with a, a spouse whatever you know that that dynamic some people have more capacity and more kind of um interdependence and, and some people are really dependent on one another and, and and need that a lot more sort of connection time and so on and and if you're in that kind of uh, this is just one sort of life facet you know if you're in that kind of relationship and you've got a family and all the rest of it you know it, it can be it can be really tough because um you know I, I know plenty of people where their marriages are broken down because somebody basically started a brewery and mm. you know that relationship was just it, it, the relationship between the, the couple and the, the brewery was just so intense that mm. it just, you know, and, and that's really tragic and really sad, actually.
2: You can talk, you can completely lose yourself in it. And then it's the only thing you focus on, the only thing you think about, the only thing you talk about, mm. it's not a very balanced way of going about things. I mean, there's probably not that many brewery owners who say they're happy as well. You yeah. Know, with their, with stuff like that. Yeah. So you've
0: got to try and find the right balances and everything yeah yeah it's a little bit like have you ever seen um, walk the line which is the film about johnny cash i
2: think so i can't remember with joaquin phoenix isn't it yeah
0: that's it yeah there's this scene where he's um putting up some pictures of his band in his outhouse and his, his his first wife comes down and um she just proper loses her shit you know and it's just like um you know it's um yeah, it's my, it's my band. We're going on tour. She's like, you're always going on tour. You always do this, you know. And it's yeah. just like it's that moment where she's like, I've had enough. I don't want to hear about the tour. When you're here, yeah. you're here. You're not, yeah. you know. And then you know it all just kind of goes wrong. And
2: interesting thing because then you like there's there's so many uh, career choices or certain choices where you're basically gonna then neglect other aspects of your life. Mm. So you probably, you know, if you read loads of business books, I would say, like, forget about your... Or, like, really, like, gnarly American business books, whatever. (laughs) Grant
0: Cardone and all that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: Forget about your friends. Forget about your family. You need to just focus on this and this only. And and that's fine. But, you know, if you want longevity or whatever, you've got to find a a decent balance between everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I use a lot of film analogies, and it's a bit like um, Scarface you know, with Al Pacino, where he first goes to um, the States from Cuba and he meets, I thought—I don't know if his name Fat Tony or whatever, and he's yeah. kind of like, um, you know, these guys, I want to go to the top, they don't last. You want to last in this business? You lie low, you know, you grow slow. And, um, you know, that. I think that analogy is so, so fitting uh, when it comes to um, any any business really, but, you know, particularly in the world of beer. Um, yeah, yeah. J- j- just as we round up um i'd, I'd love to know who, who who you think some of the breweries are that people should be watching out for at the moment what what breweries have been particularly inspiring you
2: um i i personally think the 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 standard and the array of breweries have now is is remarkable in a lot of ways it's fantastic there's so much good stuff going on and there's so many good breweries so i'm really really um encouraged by that I'd say because I think when we first started there was still like a bit of lack of depth in the industry mm. and I think really in the last five years that's changed stuff that I'd been drinking and loving from newer breweries so Boxcar yeah I really, really love Beak Brewery in Lewis I think they're based in Lewis
0: ah, not come across them
2: they're really really good uh New Barnes in Edinburgh yep um Don Zocco classic um those are probably the four breweries that i've drunk the most of last year alongside some of our other we're in a fortunate position where we get sent a lot of beer from different breweries that we know
0: right yeah yeah thanks for being on the podcast um i'm sure a lot of our uk listeners at least um know where to find you but for anyone that's like oh they sound interesting like how can they find out more about you and pick up some of your beers
2: yeah, so on our website, which is uh, www.dayabrewing.com. So that has our webshop on there and has um, yeah, information about what we're doing as a company. And I would say check out the Instagram uh, page if you can as well, because we post regularly on there with updates on what's going on and new beers and other such things.
0: Fantastic. And obviously get hold of some steady rolling man.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hi, <laughs> right, can I get two pints kind of uh, Little
0: Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes, and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing, and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week, cheers.